The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins a national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Nine of these next ten games will be played at Walmalker Stadium. Uh, you get the UAPB game tonight. Uh, three against Mississippi State starting on Thursday. Uh, the last real midweek series, if you count a series as back-to-back games at least, against Northwestern State next Tuesday and Wednesday. Tennessee uh, would be the weekend after. Uh, and then you go uh, into central Arkansas for the annual game at the home of the Travelers, Dickey Stevens Park, to battle Grambling. So that is 10 games where you're going to be the home game, the home team. Um, I guess it just depends on how you classify what a home stadium or a home ballpark is. You know, with, with Arkansas football, you definitely classify uh, War Memorial Stadium as a home stadium. Whether or not you think it's a road game because you're traveling, it's still a home stadium. It has been for a long time. The thing with the uh, the, the Travelers Ballpark has only been going on for about, what, uh, eight or nine years. It's still a home stadium. Definitely going to be a home crowd. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so I'd, I'd say I'd call that a, a home game. It makes sense to me. It really is. And it's the funny thing about this, too, Ty, because of the way that my job works out. You, you know, I mean, I'm, I, live in, I live in Little Rock, so the home games are still, for me at least, in a sense, road games uh, because I'm the one who's traveling so much. And I know that this is one thing that Brett Bielema has said all those years back, you know, talking about why, uh, you know, you view the, the football game at War Memorial Stadium a little, not just a little differently, but a lot differently because you do have to travel, so there's a road aspect to it, but you're playing in front of your own fans. You're playing in a stadium that year after year you get a, a sense of what it's like to play there. But if you're actually talking, you know, about proximity to where you live or where you sleep, um, that is a road game. And that is my one home game for the year. Literally, it's the one game that I could say is my home game for the year uh, unless for some reason the basketball team, the women's basketball team plays at uh, the arena with no teams, which they've done a couple of times since I've been doing uh, the women's basketball games. But uh, I think it's been a couple of years since they played in uh, in Central Arkansas. I think that'll be a little bit different next year because as I've been hearing, uh, there's a very good chance that Arkansas and UALR uh, are scheduling a game next season for women's basketball, uh, which I think would be played in Central Arkansas. Uh, I don't know anything else about the men's team or certainly when it comes to football scheduling with uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff, but the way that all this in-state school stuff has now started with baseball, who got smoked by Little Rock two weeks ago, um, you know you know, baseball is a, is, a, is a sport that's going to be scheduling these in-state schools, and it's only going to be as far as we understand, uh, UALR and, and UAPB. Because uh, when, when the announcement of the scheduling came out, I guess that was about five or six months ago, um, they said they were only going to keep it to the schools inside the U of A system. So if, if you're just looking at, at the four-year schools uh, that are in the U of A system, you're talking UALR, UAPB, 
and uh, and and that's it. I mean, those are the four-year schools that compete at the same level as Arkansas does. Uh, you've got some of the other schools that are you know more of Division two or 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 two-year programs. Uh, so maybe they get scheduled for uh, exhibition purposes. But uh, you know, as far as as far as baseball and and women's basketball are concerned, it's UALR and it's it's UAPB. Football's a whole other story because then there's just UAPB, and you you got to schedule so far out ahead of time for football than you do any of the other sports. Uh, so, and then that does beg the question, and this is the question that that I think got asked after Little Rock uh, smoked. Uh, Arkansas on the baseball diamond yep. two weeks ago. Is there any benefit to playing an in-state school, especially when you lose? Uh, and and honest, I don't really think that there was a negative takeaway for Razorback baseball, other than the fact that they just played a really bad game and ran into a team that, by the way, has been playing some hot baseball of late. Uh, I think UALR has lost like one game since they came in here in one seventeen to seven. So. Uh, and it's different sport to sport. That's the other thing. I think that a loss in football to a UAPB or even Arkansas State would have a much heavier impact upon that program and upon the way that it's viewed than a loss in baseball, where the the really good teams in baseball still lose 20 to 25 games a year in baseball. You know, one loss in football, as we've talked about so often, time that can ruin a chance at a national championship. So it's to me, it's like it's six and one half dozen the other. So I don't know if I ever see for baseball. I don't see a negative impact at all for scheduling UAPB or UALR. I think it's a good thing. I think it raises the profile of the sport for the other sports. I think there's other cases to be made. What do you think? I'm kind of with you on the baseball argument. It also helps that Arkansas is so far ahead of everyone else in the state in terms of where their baseball program is, in terms of who's heading up the program and Dave Van Horn. And that's not to belittle or make fun of the other baseball coaches in the state, but he's clearly the best baseball coach in the state. It's not really a comparison. And so when you add that on top of the fact that he wants to play the other state, unless he's just completely lying to the media and lying to everyone else, it seems like he was one of the guys that was pushing Hunter Yurichek to play some of the other in-state schools. So when you think about that, it's a completely different mindset than what you had under Frank Broyles and even Jeff Lawn for that matter. For the longest period of time, Frank Broyles said that Arkansas would not play in-state schools. And there's reasoning behind that, and I get some of it. Same thing happened under Jeff Lawn. Jeff Lawn was not going to play another in-state school. Then Hunter Yurichek comes in, and it seems like he's pushed by Dave Van Horn and some others to play in-state schools. And I know they got rocked against UALR early on, and there were a few fans that, well, this is why you don't play UALR. I don't think the majority of the fan base looked at it that way. They came in, they outplayed him. It's a midweek game. As you mentioned many times on the program, midweek baseball is the weirdest not phenomenal, the weirdest thing in baseball. It's just, it's not a very clear directive of where the program is because you play younger players, you don't play your best pitchers, and so on. I think phenomena actually is a pretty good way to describe it because it's something that is difficult to explain sometimes. Yeah, to quantify it. Right. And so that being said, I'm kind of with you, Phil. I don't have a problem with baseball doing it. If DVH is okay with it, if the AD and the majority of the fan base and stuff... When you get into tickier, tackier stuff, and where I think you can make more of an argument, I think you could make a little bit of an argument for basketball, and I am 100% against playing any of the in-state schools in football. I think it's an apple-to-oranges argument, and I think there's a lot of reasons and a lot of cons that you shouldn't play in-state schools, especially on the gridiron. 
You know, and for for baseball, you have the added aspect that it's 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 pretty difficult to schedule if you if you're Arkansas because it's very rare that you go on the road for midweek games. I mean, there are some special midweek uh, trips that you make, uh, like going to Texas this last year yeah. to complete the home and home, or doing the same thing with Louisiana Tech the year before. Um, I know Arkansas, I think, has gone to play Arizona State midweek, at t- uh, you know, a long time back. So, that, I mean, that, that, that happens more often, but this is a program that schedules as many home games as they, as they possibly can. If you believe it or not, by the way, there are 19 games left in the regular season for baseball, and only six of them will be played away from Baumwalker Stadium. So, I mean, they get as many home games as they can, and they also have to schedule for the game at Dickey Stevens Park, which can be difficult to do. I mean, now this year you've got Grambling coming in there, and and it's the second year in a row it's Grambling. And I remember Dave even told me in a pregame show last year that it's difficult to schedule that game because of the time of the year they try to play it, uh, that you're trying to get t- you know pro- baseball programs that are are regional and you're and you know you're not going to get a, a Missouri state to come down to Little Rock uh, you know you're not going to get Memphis has come down there they could do that but it, it, it's a difficult thing to schedule every year for them so then there's the the the, the added idea that I think it'd actually be a really cool idea to schedule either the Trojans and or the Golden Lions at Dickie Stevens Park um, you know and they, they're playing the games up here in Fayetteville this year but that is that's one way that you can guarantee you're always going to have opponents to play in Central Arkansas, and they sell that that, that ball game out every yeah. year. So it would to me it would, it would it would make perfect sense. So any so all right, let, let, let's separate the idea that you, you lose to UALR, it doesn't leave a black eye on the program. I mean, Little Rock is not a has never been for a, a big time baseball program even for the level that they play at in the Sun Belt and they have one Sun Belt championship one appearance in the NCAA tournament and and you know they've been kind of trying to rebuild things for a long time for baseball and and they have apparently done that to the point this year where they're a hot ball club they're that looked like a good team when they came in here and pounded out 17 runs. I think they had won 8 of 9 before they entered that game against Arkansas. And then you mentioned the hot streak they've been on since the win. So, yeah, it's like you're saying, not a bad ball club at all. UAPB is a different story, my man. 6-27, <laughs> and 27, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is, this is the, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. I remember earlier in the season it was kind of you know making light of the fact that Texas Southern has – I think they were. I think over the first four games, I forget how many, but they were. It felt like they were outscored eighty to five. You know what I mean? I mean, it was it was embarrassing. But that was also the team that was picked to win the SWAC. And I mean, if you're going to pick the if you're going to pick the the lowest level of Division One baseball, it routinely, I think, year in year out, is the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And Arkansas has been scheduling teams out of the SWAC. For a long time now, I mean, you've, you, I remember watching them play against Alabama A and M, against Mississippi Valley State, and uh, Grambling. I mean, you get Grambling now, and UAPB is is right out of that league, and it isn't. Uh, it is it is most definitely not a league that you should be losing games to, if you're going to be a top program out of the SEC. And Arkansas honestly should have lost last year to Grambling. Yeah, in, I remember in, you saying that in Little Rock. I mean, that was a game that Grambling. Uh, literally handed to the Razorbacks in a silver platter. So, and 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 UAPB is the bottom of the barrel for this league. They come in not only with the worst record overall in the league 
at six and twenty-seven. I mean, they've lost some games, twenty-one to nothing, twenty-five to nothing. Uh, the Golden Lions are two and fourteen in their league, so they've they've struggled within the context of that league as well. So I I, st- I view a loss to UALR much differently than I would against against UAPB. And honestly, I think UAPB would be a team that you ten run. You know, if this game is 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 ten runs, or if there's a ten, if you lead them by ten runs or more at the end of seven innings, ball game over. And I I I feel like this is a day where it's not like you make that a goal, but it's a realistic possibility. And it's happened a number of times to UAPB. So I think not only should you win, you should crush them, maybe even shut them out. But like you said earlier, Ty, I mean. This the phenomenon of midweek college baseball, to me, is different than any other college sport. I mean, you play so many more games in baseball that there's going to be more variables of how you win or how you lose a game, and so much of it has to do with pitching. So now this leads to the other aspect of something I think we'll get into a little bit later on in the show, maybe in the next segment, of the pitching in the midweek has been iffy at times. There's been a couple of good games at Missouri State, one of them, the first game against Texas, but it's also been iffy uh, because they, Dave Van Horn and, and Matt Hobbs have, have put Patrick Wicklander out there as a starter Tuesdays quite a bit, but I don't think they've let him necessarily go as long as they would like to let him go at times with the thought that they want to save him for relief on the weekends. So then you end up with you know a handful of freshmen that are on the mound and have really struggled to throw strikes. So at times you've also had to use guys like Kevin Copps or Cole Ramage uh, or even Matt Cronin on a Tuesday or a Wednesday game where you might really just like to save those those arms for a Thursday or Friday night because Arkansas plays for Thursday conference this week. Play. Yeah, when you when you need them more. And it's, it's one of those things where Dave's mentioned several times they're going for conference wins. And it's not like they're not trying to win the midweek games, but they're – the priority, and it needs to be because it helps your RPI, it looks better in the in the SEC, and it just looks better to the committee, is to win those conference games. So when you have your better players pitching in the weekend games, it would lead to lesser pitchers and lesser players playing in that. So that makes sense. And one of the other things that we need to bring into this equation, of like talking about playing in games uh, in-state schools, Phil, is how many, like, Arkansas schools would love to play the Razorbacks. Like, in every thing. sport. In like every, every sport. single sport exactly. they would want to. They mentioned how easy it's to schedule. I know that UAPB's coach, James, who was talking about he's excited um, that their schedule and DVH was kind of the same way. But you think about it like this. Who wants to play Arkansas in baseball? Like, what? what it doesn't matter the level of opponent. Like, you'll have a coach that's courageous that wants to play. But Arkansas is a top-tier program right now. You know this better than I do, but at least top 10, maybe top 7, top 5. It depends on when you get in the nitty-gritty factors that are involved in that. But you're asking a coach, a baseball coach, to bring his team either to Fayetteville or whether it's the Little Rock game or something. That's not exactly a fun task that awaits you with the Arkansas consistency of their baseball program as of late. But with the Arkansas schools... They're they'll do whatever it takes to schedule the Razorbacks, so it, it's a little easier. I know that's not the biggest factor in the world, but at least it's one of them to think about that Arkansas schools are much more willing to play the Razorbacks than other out-of-state schools because they know how good of a program the Razorbacks are. In, you know, in I, baseball, not, not basketball or football, in baseball. And, and as somebody who 
in a, in a previous part of my career, still living in the state, worked for two organizations that really felt like they were competing against the Razorbacks for sponsorship dollars and for eyes and for media attention. Yeah. In the Travelers and, and in UALR when I did women's basketball games there, I, I definitely see it from, from their perspective. It, it isn't necessarily just a matter of what happens on the field and the competition that you're actually taking part in. It's, it's that you're finally acknowledged as a part of the sporting scene in the state when across the country, so many of the flagship universities, even in the small states, I mean, Ole Miss and Mississippi State play a lot of the other smaller schools in Mississippi. Uh, you know, Nebraska, I think, plays UNO in, in basketball. Uh, it's just, there's so many other examples you can point to of where a flagship university like West Virginia plays Marshall uh, in in basketball. It's not that it has to take place in football. You have so much so fewer games to schedule and really just like what three non-conference games a year in basketball in baseball in softball in in tennis in in all these other in all these other sports there's there's more of an opportunity to schedule them. And you feel like like you're not even acknowledged by the behemoth that gets all of the attention, that gets all of the all of the press, that gets all of the sponsorship dollars. Carlos James, the UAPB coach, pretty much is summing what you're saying. He said, in the past, Arkansas was kind of viewed as the big kid in the neighborhood with all the good toys, but he didn't want to play with anyone else. That's exactly what you're saying. That's what probably a lot of the coaches in the state felt like, Phil, that as you mentioned, you worked for UALR and Henderson State. Like it, it's harder when the biggest program in the state, the Razorbacks, gets the majority of the attention, and you don't you feel like you don't feel as superior. You don't feel like you're at that level. But when they acknowledge you, like the baseball team and Hunter Yearcheck are doing this year, it makes you feel better. And then tie that back into what you were talking about earlier: the fact that it puts baseball in a bigger spotlight when you have more players from the state competing. And baseball right now is third in the state behind football and basketball. So anything and everything you can do to continue to grow the brand of not only Razorback baseball, but baseball in the state is Dave Van Horn's not going to scoff at that. He's not going to deny that. He's going to take advantage of that. And that's what it looks like they're doing, playing UALR and playing UAPB. You know, you, you, we got into this whole conversation asking what does what does Arkansas benefit from? We're talking about the, the, the Razorback athletic department. What do they benefit from? Because you can see what the other programs benefit from as far as the attention and as far as the feeling like you're finally acknowledged on the same level playing field as as Big Brother. So what what do the Razorbacks get from it? And sometimes to me it feels like it's more about goodwill than anything else. You know, it generates it generates positive publicity I think for the university uh, in a in a way that some fans I think are a little are a little uh, hesitant to grasp. Um, you know it's hard to when you've been under the assumption. I mean, Frank Brolis, late Frank Brolis, that was his identity. That was the identity of the program for so long because he didn't want people to have a reason to cheer against Arkansas because it was the idea that if you're playing an in-state school, an alum of that in-state school that's playing the Razorbacks is probably going to cheer for that in-state school. But if the Razorbacks are just playing an out-of-conference opponent, someone outside the state, then they're probably going to cheer for the Razorbacks, which makes sense to a certain extent. But there's also other reasons. It's not just a 
easy issue to figure out, Phil. It's it, it goes back and forth. There's pros and cons to both sides. There are, and and you know. <laughs> When Little Rock beat Arkansas in baseball, you, you should have seen they had about five or six rows of fans behind their dugout, and they were, you could almost see the tears streaming down their faces because it was like a long-awaited uh, achievement that they that almost felt unattainable. And then you're coming into a place where Arkansas had been playing so well, and they just end up spanking the Razorbacks. So, I mean, it was a great achievement for them in their eyes that, that meant more than just a win on the field. And I felt like that could happen in the time that I covered UALR women's basketball. I felt like there were some teams that Joe Foley had that not just would compete well with uh, with some of the Tom Collin teams of the time or Susie Gardner teams of the time up on the hill, but that they would beat them. And 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 believe you me, when I was calling those UALR games, I would have I would have looked at it exactly the same way. But for 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 now, from my perspective, I look at it in a completely different way. So you just lose a little to, different. <laughs> lose to Little Rock baseball, that's fine. This is this is a program that looks like it's on the up and up and and is getting better. You lose to UAPB, and we might have a problem. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter, at PhilElsonPXP and at TySportsRadio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. Which is what we need to get into because it's a Tuesday second hour. We got things to kick off the natural turf. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Old man, my ass. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. You're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. Well, better late than never. Get off my lawn. All right, so I got a couple of baseball things for get off my lawn. The first one today are basically the entire New York Yankees team. Uh, Greg Bird has become the latest Yankee to be placed on the 10-day injured list. Used to be the disabled list. Used to be 14 days. Now it's a 10-day injured list. And uh, Greg Bird, uh, who's the first baseman for the Yankees, has uh, a plantar fascia tear on his left foot. You know what the plantar fasciitis is, Ty? It's that it's the it's basically the uh, the the stuff that makes up the bottom of your foot, not the skin, but the the actual hard-ish slash uh, cartilage-like material that is that, that stretches from the back of your heel all the way to your toes, and uh, and Greg Bird tore that. That was an injury that that uh, caused uh, Albert Pujols a couple of years ago to miss a lot of time. So uh, so all right, get a load of this already. And this is, I think, they have ju- almost as many injured Yankees as they have had games played. Uh, 13 Yankees already have been placed on the injured list through the first 15 games of the season. And uh, some of them are some of the best players that they have, like Giancarlo Stanton and Gary Sanchez and Miguel Andujar. Uh, pick up the Didi Gregorius, the shortstop, Jacoby Ellsbury, Troy Tulowitzki, who was supposed to play shortstop. He went on the, on the injured list. Aaron Hicks and now Greg Bird. So the Yankees somehow... Are are six and nine. Somehow they haven't completely fallen apart, even though physically they've fallen apart. To where you you could actually look at the roster and say, 
goodness gracious, we're playing Scranton Wilkesbury today. That's their AAA affiliate. They have almost as many players starting for the AAA from the AAA affiliate up of the big league team as you might expect to start for you in the entire season. So my first is pretty much the entire New York Yankees team is off the lawn. Not the recipe for success if you're Aaron Boone out there in New York. I. I know those guys are probably still really good ball players, being in the AAA affiliate of the New York Yankees, but there's a reason you're paying those guys the big bucks, and when they're not playing, that's not good. Hey, Phil, do you hear, you know how I mentioned that guy that bet 85k on Tiger to win the yes, Masters? This, some people have have have, uh, have built this the greatest sports bet of all time. Yeah, so he won 1.19 million, 1.2. I rounded it up uh, earlier this week, and apparently. That was his first bet, which I don't know if I believe that. This is a guy named James Aducey in Wisconsin. Said it was his first bet ever. I have a hard time believing that. But the amount of money, maybe maybe it was. Maybe he's just like, I'm just going to throw down 85 k on Tiger Woods. Now, I wish I had the money to do that. But I just, I, have a, I, I can't believe that this guy would actually, in his first ever bet, in his first ever sporting bet, Throw eighty five thousand on a guy that hadn't won a major since what oh five? I, I, is it is that the latest or is it more than that or is it? I no, mean, he he'd won in I think the last Masters was was two thousand five. I think the last major was two thousand eight. Okay, so eleven yeah it was eleven years. I'm thinking the Masters was oh five. So I just I can't believe that. So I gotta uh, tell James a Ducey to get off my lawn because I'm not buying it. You're just not buying it. Not at all. Bu- you don't believe it one bit. Who gets that lucky their first time? Like lottery? Tickets, I don't know. I'll tell you power- what. The, fir- the first time I ever went and put money on Oakland, I won over five hundred bucks. Did you? All right. Well. Knowing absolutely nothing of what I was talking about, which was confirmed by the way last week. You know when we tried to do just the, about two minutes of horse racing. And it was obvious we really shouldn't be talking horse racing very much. Arkansas Derby is on Saturday, not Sunday. Uh, Dan, Clifty, Tommy, they wanted to make sure that we knew that. They gave me a hard time about that at Doze that night, that we were we were talking about that. So. Hey, that's on me, not on you. And they were blaming me. I, don't, I was like, I didn't say anything. I said he didn't It's like know. you're an extension of me. I'm yeah. glad. You can, you can take all the slings and the arrows. I'll just say the stupid stuff. I was there. You get the compliments. I get the, the trash talk. So I'm used to it by now. Okay, so my second get off my lawn. Have you seen this picture of Dave Van Horn from the dugout oh, at Vanderbilt? John changed his profile picture. I, I thought that. I saw that. So this this came from Jimmy Longo, uh, who does uh, who's one of the official photographers and videographers and puts together some of the really cool uh, highlight videos uh, of all the Arkansas athletics. And he was he and Charlie, his assistant, were in Ark were in Nashville with us for this last weekend series, and. You know, they're in the dugouts during the games. They're in the camera wells during the games. They're getting all kinds of cool stuff leading up to games from practices, from the riding the buses. And then there was just an absolute picture of nothing but gold. And, and, and I don't know the exact context around this picture, but my assumption is that it happened once Arkansas completed the comeback against Vanderbilt Sunday and went 14-12. to 12. Jimmy has this this picture of Dave Van Horn, and it's like he's just three feet away from Dave, and it's amongst a, a series of pictures focusing on Dave, talking to the team, and it's almost like somebody, like is holding a, a is holding something really smelly under Dave's nose, you know. So it gets it gets that sneer up, but you can see the look in his eyes 
and the way that he has contorted his face to where he's obviously yelling, but you can't really tell if he's yelling angrily or just extremely fired up. But to me, and you got to go onto the Razorback Baseball Twitter handle, uh, at RazorbackBSB, go down a few of them. I'll retweet this so that you can get a look at this too. This, to me, is the prototypical, picture-perfect, get-off-my-lawn face. You know what I mean? I mean, it was almost like, look, Vanderbilt does some cutesy things. A lot of college baseball teams do. Not as much as Ole Miss, though. Let's go and point that out. Van, well, hey, they do just as much of the cutesy stuff as Ole Miss does. They really do. Oh, they wow. have all kinds of cute little stretching routines that they do. They jump over there. They're railing every half inning when the pitcher gets the third out. They jump over the railing for every run that they score. Even though inside the Vanderbilt dugout, there are signs that say, do not jump over the railing. They do it anyway. Like they just won the World Series. It's ridiculous. Yes, Vanderbilt does just as much cutesy stuff as Ole Miss does. And sooner or later, I'm just going to have to get past some of this because it's a college baseball thing. I happen to work for, in my eyes, the most professionally minded college baseball team in the country, which there is no better fit for me to work for a college baseball team than Arkansas because I can't get with about 75% of the crap that I see from a lot of the college baseball teams. And that includes a lot of stuff from Vanderbilt. Look, I can separate the fact that's, that's potentially a national championship team that Vanderbilt has. But they do a lot of cutesy stuff. And, and, and I know it irks Dave and it irks a lot of the players. And to me, this face that he's making is like one big get off my lawn with that cutesy crap stuff. This is a picture perfect picture of get off my lawn. Looks- and I don't want it ever off my lawn. I want it to be there. I want this picture to be my lawn. He looks like a fire-breathing dragon in that picture. The intensity is just oozing out of his eyes. And I know... When Dave Jordan was here, he had a reputation for just lighting a fire up the guys' keisters and up their butts, and that was notorious. But uh, Dave Van Horn's the exact same way. He can bring an intensity that's seldom seen across the college baseball. And I think that picture that you see is only just a a small little glimpse of what actually it's like playing for Dave Van Horn, his intensity, and what he requires of you day in, day out. So it's pretty cool. Those pictures are awesome, just the filter on and everything there. They're pretty cool. I, I know Jimmy referred to it as the greatest picture of my career. So, I mean, thumbs up to you, a, Jimmy Longo. All right, so Chris Davis, uh, he's asking Phil Elson to get on his, off his lawn because he finally broke his hitless streak on Saturday. He finally did that after 62 games, and then he finally broke his home run streak of 35 games against the Boston Red Sox, and this is just the simple statement on how he did it. It was long overdue. Long overdue, Phil. I mean, that's that's that sums it up as about as simply as you can. Long overdue. I mean, this is a guy that you said commands. How much does he make every year? I mean, upwards. I think it was of, like twenty three yeah, million, and still say, four more years left on the contract. Yeah, just a fat contract that he has no business going hitless for sixty two plate appearances. I put games on the rundown. I remember sixty two plate appearances. Just an abnormal stat that you rarely see from a player of the caliber of Chris Davis and then breaks the home run streak, which is pretty good. For, I mean, good for him. Like you don't want, you don't want to see guys fail unless they're just total, you know what? So uh, Chris Davis told Phil Elson to get off his lawn this weekend. And then when he hit that home run bomb against the Red Sox. So that means I don't have to, I don't have to include him on three up, three down. I don't have to include him on FOMO or JOMO. 
Uh, so I, hey, I'll root for the guy. And I didn't even realize this. I saw Hutch, Hutch uh, mention the uh, hitless streak in one of his uh, stat packs last week. And I'll have to ask Dave this. I meant to ask Dave Van Horn that uh, Chris Davis was a uh, commit to Arkansas before he signed his contract with the Texas Rangers as a high school draftee. Gee, Isn't that about, something? Think about how many players Arkansas baseball could have possibly had. Now, you... You'd have to go like deep into probably the players that Dave's recruited over the years that eventually just decided, oh, I'm going to afford to go to college and go to the majors. But, I mean, he's got studs in here. He's got what looks to be the number one prospect in this upcoming 2021 draft in Casey Martin. But he's he's missed on guys not because they chose other schools, because they went on to yeah. the major and minor leagues, which is just incredible to think about. That's right. All right, my third, uh, we go to the NHL playoffs where a first-round series between the Washington Capitals and the Carolina Hurricanes was overshadowed uh, by future Hall of Famer Alex Ovechkin, all of 33 years old, getting into a fight with Carolina rookie Andre Svechnikov, who is 19 years old. Uh, and it was not a pretty sight for young Andrei Svechnikov. Ovechkin's not known for fighting. This is one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the NHL. And, of course, the Capitals are coming off of winning their first-ever Stanley Cup last year. It was three straight right jabs in front of the Hurricanes net that sent Svechkov to the flo- to the ice. He went to the hospital for evaluation afterwards. You got some audio from that. Boy, Ovechkin and Svechnikov behind the player getting after one another. Svechnikov's ready to fight with him. Here we go! Ovechkin and Svechnikov trading right hands. Oh, the kid's knocked out. You got to get help. Get the trainer out there. Hurry up! That's fighting out of your weight class. That's a KO. You got to watch it, and I, I know if you watch it, but for our listeners, you got to watch this fight because he just clobbers him. Well, and and I, I look, I, I grew up a hockey fan, and, and I also I I come from a little bit of the the thought that fighting has always been a part of hockey, but it doesn't have to be part of hockey. It's accepted. Really, it's the only sport where fighting is accepted. Other, if you're talking about you know boxing or UFC. Um, but it's very rare that these hockey fights lead to an actual injury, other than maybe somebody getting a tooth knocked out or a black eye or a bruise. I mean, we're talking about somebody that took three straight right jabs and was done. I mean, knocked out, completely knocked out. He needed help off the ice, had to go to the hospital. He's in concussion protocol. And you feel for the kid because, I mean, there's a moment where you're a 19-year-old and you're, you're, you're battling against someone who's already a legend, who's from your home country, and you're jabbing him a little bit with your stick, and then the two of them decide. You know, from what Ovechkin said, Svechnikov challenged him, but Ovechkin was the first to throw the gloves down. He threw those gloves down, and Svechnikov was kind of like looked at him like, really, I'm going to do this now? And he throws his gloves off, and then, you know, 15 seconds later, the thing's over. Um, so I hope the kid's okay. Uh Ovechkin said as much um, on uh, in, in an interview after the ball after the the hockey game in which Carolina won five nothing. Washington leads the series two games to one, but uh, Andre has an older brother Evgeny who plays in the Detroit Red Wings organization, and he threatened Ovechkin over Instagram with a a photo of him or at least a photo of a Freddy Krueger outfit, and the the and the Instagram post says one. To Fred, he's coming for you, and he tagged Ovechkin on this Instagram post. So I mean, this is going to lead to something else somewhere down the line. And uh, but, but my whole point to getting to this is that Alice Ovechkin uh, told Andre Svechnikov to get off my ice. Yeah, Svechnikov 
he bit off more than he could chew. I think that's a little bit of an understatement. All right, my last one uh, for this, and I get I, I got could go a couple of different ways, but uh, I think it's I think it's I'm finally watching Game of Thrones. I'm finally doing it, and I need to get off my own lawn because I made fun of Game of Thrones for so long, and I messed with John about it. I was like, "Why do you watch this?" But I finished New Girl up last night. I was actually talking to Nikki about that during the break, and she said she just stopped watching it because she got bored with it. But I finished it last night. I'm like, I'm just gonna start watching it. I'm just gonna do it, and I'm. So you watch the first episode, which honestly can be a little bit difficult to keep up with because there's all these. You're you're. They intro I mean, like twenty characters. There's like, like dozens of characters that you're introduced to, and you don't really know what's going on. It's a little jarring, actually. That's why I felt like when I first started watching Game of Thrones. I watched the first three episodes in a row, so I felt like I was already immersed in it. So I thought watching the first episode alone is is a little bit difficult, but it sounds like you're already hooked. Yeah, I'm hooked. So I'm going to try and limit myself to one episode a night. I don't know how long that's going to last, but I need to get off my own lawn because for so long I was making fun of you and John and others who watched the show and said, why do you all waste your time on this? And on and on and on. And then... Of course, I fall into temptation. I fall into peer pressure, and I'm now watching the phenomenon that continues to grow. It seems like every single season. And this is the final season, correct? This is it. Okay. So I, I'm hoping I can finish it before the final episode so I can watch it with everyone else. We'll see. Well, so that you, you've got another 67 hours to watch in the next seven weeks. Can you pull this off? Say hold on, next seven weeks. Yeah, so that ah, that shouldn't be that hard, right? Now you 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 focus on one show at a time. I know this. You don't yeah. watch a bunch of shows all at once. So you've got, I mean, you can fit sixty seven hours into the next seven weeks, and then we'll all be caught up. I think I I think I can do that. We'll see what happens, but I, I think that's a possibility for it. It wouldn't it would not be possible if we were in football season. I don't think it would be possible during basketball season. But we're in a period of time where. I'm not doing as much extracurricular stuff involving the radio station, so I think I'll be able to achieve that goal. I just think you're going to end up watching like eight episodes one night and then show up the next day, and when I pull up my iPad and dial you up, you're going to look just like one of the, one of the white walkers. You're going, to look, you're going to look like one of the undead with these gleaming blue eyes and hair out of nowhere. And What happened to you? Eight hours binge-watching. I, I stayed up through. I didn't go to sleep. Like, I stayed <laughs> through 4.30 at my alarm, and I was just like, oh, no. Yeah, that would be bad. I hope, I hope it doesn't turn into that. We'll see. Like the Halftime Pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.